You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. As always, it's a blessing to get to have services at our church at Midtown Two Notch, even if we're doing this via Facebook Live once again. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. Again, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. Obviously, it is not our preference to be having this Easter service via Facebook Live and not being able to be together in our church buildings. But praise God, our hope isn't found in whether or not the church buildings are empty. It's hope and found in the fact, our hope is found in the fact that the tomb was empty. That our God is still God and he still reigns and we can continue to take heed to his word, to sit under the preaching of his word as he does work inside of our hearts. Again, we'll be in John chapter 11 today. We'll actually be focusing in just on a few scriptures to make our primary points for the day. The context of this is Mary's brother, Lazarus, has just died. So this is actually a quote that we have visited once in this series. And Martha is talking to Jesus about it. And here's what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, I am the life, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is a term, it's a term that almost carries a narrative right along with it. A narrative that something has died, but now life has come up out of death. That life has sprung up out of death. That life has overcome Death, that light is now replacing or displacing the darkness. Embedded in this term is the epitome of darkness, which is death itself, but yet the death is no more. Death has been overcome and done away with. Jesus says, This is who he is. He doesn't simply say that this is what he has done or what he is going to do, but he says, I am the resurrection. And the life. He's saying, I am light overcoming darkness. I am life overcoming death. This is what he's all about. This is what he came to do and be about. Martha thought the resurrection was something that was going to happen. Jesus says, No, 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 the resurrection is someone that is going to happen. The resurrection on the last day when all who have died in Christ will be raised in him. This is, this is an, an aspect or an outworking of who Jesus actually is. He's going to come back in all of his glory, no longer restraining who he truly is, no longer being confined to his humanity. He's going to fully express who he is. And when he comes back and does that, the dead will rise because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I want to try to put this in, in context with the whole narrative of Scripture. So I want to zoom out just a little bit and make sure we understand what Jesus is doing in relation to the overall narrative of the Bible. So we'll go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. This is when God is giving a command to Adam and Eve about the one thing he tells them that they should not do in the Garden of Eden. He says, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God told them that death will be a result of their sin. He's, he's, he's telling them, the day you eat of this, you're a dead man, Adam. The day you eat of it, you're going to experience death. You will suffer under a death sentence, and so will all of creation. We see the same thought echoed in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, as the Apostle Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. If you're familiar with the story, you know that from there, from that point on, sin and corruption and death spread and continue to corrupt God's good creation. We see this spreading in the following chapters in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God lets them know about all the suffering that they will now endure as they refuse to live under his obedience displayed by them eating from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the very next chapter, in chapter 4, the descendants of Adam and Eve, one of, one of them, Cain, kills his brother Abel. And right before he kills him, God warns him and lets him know, hey, this sin that came in just one chapter earlier in Genesis chapter 3, this sin that came in, it is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It desires to control you. God gives Cain this warning about this sin that is now present in the world. Cain, of course, kills his brother Abel, this sin has now been passed on to the next generation. This corruption has moved from Adam and Eve to their descendant Cain. Two chapters later, just before the flood, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it reads, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That all the intentions in his heart and in his thoughts of, of mankind we're only on evil continually. This sin, this corruption has worked its way through the generations and has infected everyone. If you read chapter, further in the chapter, you see that it says the earth was full of violence. This, this sin has corrupted the hearts and intentions and also the actions of mankind. Sin and darkness spread through the earth, through humanity like gangrene. Gangrene is when the tissue and the, and the cells begin in a certain area to die off. And then that death just begins to spread throughout the entire body, oftentimes meaning in order to save the person, you have to amputate that specific part of the person's body where the gangrene is present. This is what Genesis is painting the picture that sin is now doing in the earth. It's spreading. It's infecting everyone. It's infecting everything. If you move throughout the rest of the Old Testament, before Jesus comes, you see this play out in a number of ways. If you're familiar with the narrative of the Old Testament, you know that God's people very rarely actually follow him the way that he calls them to. Generally speaking, they're running and moving to other gods, to false gods, to idol after idol after idol, even though he continues to send his prophets, his people of God to them to call them to repent. And oftentimes when God sends these prophets to them, they, they torture or murder the prophets, the one that God has given his words to, because they don't want to be called back to God. And even the greatest of heroes, so to speak, of the faith in the Old Testament oftentimes are, are shown to be extremely flawed. David, a murderer amongst other acts of evil that he committed. Moses kills a man and then runs away. 
this evil has spread, it seems to be taking over since Genesis 3. But it's not just the sin and the evil that has spread. As God told Adam and Eve, when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. As he pronounced this death sentence over them, one of the other things that we notice is now everything that lives moves towards death. Everything. Everything in life that you love, that you cling close to, will be taken away from you in some form or fashion. This is a result of sin in the world. One of the things I believe this pandemic has put on the forefront of many of our minds is our own frailty. Is the fact that everyone is susceptible to death. That though we might try to distance our minds from it, we know deep down we're all moving towards death. We all have death to look forward to, and there's nothing that we can do about it. And in the meantime, our bodies break down. Many of you are like me, and maybe you're just old enough to notice that my body doesn't work the way that it used to. I wake up, and, the bo- and my ankle just hurts. Back around the hill, it just hurts. There's nothing I can do about it. I didn't think I've done anything to, to, to cause that to happen. It just hurts. I talked to Meredith, and she said, that, yeah, that's the first sign of you might tear your Achilles. And I was like, all right, I guess my Achilles is gone now too. Our bodies break down. The older you get, the more you have the difficulties and the pains in your body to look forward to. And on top of the fact that our bodies are moving towards death, We have so many diseases that we are susceptible to. ScienceDaily.com had an article that came out a few years ago that said that they estimate that only one out of 20 people in the world have no health problems at all. That's about 5% of the population in the world. There's obviously one specific health problem that has taken our world by storm and seemingly has has disrupted everything. But even without COVID-19, our bodies have been susceptible to so many diseases and problems. It's difficult and painful to be sick. It's difficult and painful to see your loved ones be sick. Sitting or standing beside the hospital bed of a loved one is as they battle a potentially fatal disease, is one of the most sorrowful and trying places one can be in. And if you haven't experienced that before, at some point it is likely that we all will. And it's not just physical illnesses that we suffer from. We wrestle with mental illnesses that plague us as well. Some of us have crippling anxiety and depression. Some of us feel betrayed by our minds and our emotions as we deal with a disorder like bipolar disorder. That might be, we might be extremely up one minute and extremely low the next. With seemingly no control with where our minds and our emotions will be from one day to the next or even one moment to the next. There are diseases like dementia that even rid us of our ability to remember sometimes even our closest loved ones. We at times experience the pain of not being able to remember or be remembered by those who love us the most. Family, outside of Jesus, we all have these diseases in our lives. Our lives are moving towards death. Yes, there are many, many things in this life that we can still enjoy, but even those things in this life will come to an end 
It's no wonder that so many people in this life live their lives with so much dread, with so much despair and misery, with so much hopelessness. Family, outside of Jesus, everything is moving towards death, and the song of our lives is a hopeless one. It's a song of deep hopelessness that we might try to numb, that we might try to get around, but outside of the hope that we have in him, the future is extremely bleak. And all of this sinfulness, all of this evil, all of this this death that has spread through the globe and infected our world, it all climaxes at the death of Jesus Christ where he suffers under the greatest act of sin, the greatest act of evil, when creation kills its creator, when creation exercises what little strength it has been given and tortures and oppresses and mocks and crucifies God himself. This is the climax of darkness, when the darkness that has infected this whole world now reaches the Savior and he dies at the hand of sinful people. This is the pinnacle of corruption and death when God himself dies. But praise be to God that we follow the one that is the resurrection and the life, and that he didn't stay dead, but instead he got out of the grave. Yes, the song of our world outside of Jesus Christ is a hopeless one, but the resurrection is proof that he has victory even over our hopelessness. The resurrection is a disruption of the status quo that has been taking place in the world since Genesis chapter 3. Some of you all are like me. I remember about 15 or so years ago, I had my first car, was riding. I, can't, I don't remember exactly what song I'm listening to. I'm driving down the interstate and there's something in the road, like a bump in the road or something like that. And the music that I, that I was just listening to and vibing with, It stopped. I know not all of y'all remember the days when you rode in a car and your music will stop if you hit a bump in the road because you were listening to a CD. I know many of us don't know anything about that, but at that time, the CD would skip. The music would just stop if you hit a bump in the road because there was this disruption in the music and the CD couldn't continue to play when that disruption happened. What I'm saying to you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it is a disruption in the song of hopelessness that our world has been singing and that our world has been listening to because it causes the normal order of things to now work in reverse. The resurrection is proof that there is someone that can disrupt the normal order. There is someone who comes in and told everyone who was going to kill him and that he was going to come back from the grave. And all of the sudden, it seems like everything moving towards death is no longer a reality for him and all who follow him. The resurrection is a disruption in the fact that everything in this world was moving towards death. That sin was just spreading. Now we have the light coming out of the darkness. And we see this not only in Jesus' resurrection, but also in his healing ministry as well. When he heals the lame man and gave him the ability to walk. Generally speaking, because everything moves towards death, our bodies continue to break down over time instead of those who are lame being able to walk again later in their life. But this is the case when Jesus heals this man, when this man has faith in Jesus because Jesus reverses the curse because he is the resurrection. When Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood. She has seen doctor after doctor after doctor and her condition had only gotten worse. 
And she pressed on with faith that if I can just touch him, I know that I can be made whole. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be made whole. And when she went to him and touched him, even though Jesus was not specifically paying attention to her at the time, when she touches him, her condition begins to work in reverse and she begins to become whole when she touches Jesus. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life that this is who he is. She touched the resurrection, and now what was true of her and everything in her body moving towards death, it started working in reverse because the one she touched is the resurrection and the life. This is just who he is. So when she touched him, that is what came out of him, and she became healed. We see this playing out as well in Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25. This is Matthew explaining the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We'll start in verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. They brought him those with all kinds of diseases, and when they came to him, trusting in him for healing, he healed them all. Why? Because he is the resurrection. And he is the life. This is who he is. This is what he is about. He's showing that death days are numbered. We see him showing us who he is as he heals so many, as he disrupts sin's effects in the earth. But all those signs, all those healings are just shadows to the resurrection. Where after taking on the pinnacle and the climax of sin and death and darkness onto himself, he comes back to life having conquered sin and death. The resurrection is a disruption of the status quo of life on earth. It is noticed to death that it does not reign anymore. The resurrection is proof that Jesus has power to undo death itself. The resurrection is proof that physical illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, COVID-19, and every other physical disease that you can think of do not have the last word anymore. It is proof that mental illnesses like chronic anxiety and depression, Alzheimer's, dementia, bipolar disorder won't have the last word because Jesus is coming to free us from the fallenness of this world of death. The resurrection is proof that death has been sentenced, a death sentence itself for all who follow Jesus. As Billy Graham once said, the late Billy Graham, he said, one day you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than ever. I will just have changed addresses. See, after Adam sinned, we all got a death sentence. But after Jesus took our death sentence for us, he rose and gave death a death sentence. And now we have eternal life with him because he is the resurrection. The resurrection is hope for all who are willing to forsake this world's way of living and follow Jesus because those that follow his way in this life will also follow him and experience resurrection with him in the next life. And here's the thing. The resurrection doesn't just set us free from brokenness and darkness that we're victims of, like disease and death. It also sets us free from the brokenness and darkness that we participate in 
as well. We're not just set free from being defeated by death. We're set free from being defeated by sin as well. This disruption of the status quo doesn't just happen outside of us in this world. It also happens inside of us in our hearts as well. The victory, the power of the resurrection doesn't just proclaim the defeat of all darkness in the world. It also proclaims the defeat of all the darkness and the sin that plagues our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and all of our intentions. He doesn't just seek to resurrect our bodies on the last day. He seeks to resurrect our hearts as well. We see the Apostle Paul writing about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Where it reads, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The resurrection that he's seeking, seeking to bring to this entire world, he wants to bring to us as well. If you're familiar with Revelation chapter 21, we won't turn there for the sake of time. But if you're familiar with Revelation chapter 21, you know that this, it says, the heavens and the earth will pass away. And behold, there will be a new heavens and a new earth for all things will be made new. What he's saying here is that this is the case for us as well. That the old will be passing away and the new will come. That the same resurrection he's bringing to all of creation, he's bringing into your life, he's bringing into your heart for all of your sin struggles if you are in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about this concept and he links it directly to the resurrection, the concept of us, of us being made new. He does this in Romans chapter 6, specifically in verses 1 and verse 2. But I want us to focus in on verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, as he's talking about us no longer seeing sin as a, seeing his grace, excuse me, as a license to sin. Romans chapter 6, 4. This is the reason we no longer abuse his grace and see it as a license to sin. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying just like Jesus was raised from the dead and now was given new life, we too can walk in newness of life instead of being enslaved by sin. He's saying because of the resurrection, we are no longer controlled by sin. That the sin that has infected this world and spread to, to everyone, now we have strength and ability and life in Christ to fight against it and say no to sin. So whenever you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin in your heart. That is God seeking to bring excuse me, resurrection power into your life. I'll say that again. Whenever you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin in your heart, that's God seeking to bring that resurrection power into your life to continue to make you new in him. And this is one that's a, a struggle for me personally I had actually had to apologize for this next point, something that I did wrong to a group of friends of mine this past week. So whenever a brother or sister in the faith challenges you according to the word of God in any way, specifically to turn from sin and turn to him, God is using them to bring resurrection power into your life. And he wants you to submit to that power and not resist or get defensive against it. My current tendency is to be defensive whenever I am corrected. 
whenever what I'm doing is challenged by brothers and sisters in the faith. I want to resist it. And we need to understand when we do that, we are resisting against the very resurrecting power of our God as he wants to continue to make us new in him until the day that he comes back and finishes the job and makes us like him on the last day. Because he who began a good work will continue it and bring it to completion on that last day. And whenever he's doing these things, he's looking to do exactly what he's doing in in all of creation because this is who Jesus is. You have to understand he is the resurrection. So if you want closeness with Jesus, if you want to walk with Jesus, you're wanting to walk with the one who wants to bring this resurrection power into your life to continue to transform you that you might be more and more like him. This is who he is. He wants to come in and disrupt the reign of sin in your life that you might know true freedom. True freedom to walk in your design. True freedom to live as the one that he has created you to be. This is who he is. That beautiful, glorious disruption of the reign of sin. Here's the thing. It's not simply made for your benefit. It's meant for the benefit of the world as well. Let me try to explain that as I get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go back to chapter 17. And we'll just work 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what we have received as we've been made alive in him is we've been reconciled to God. And now the Apostle Paul is telling us that now we now have the ministry of reconciliation because God is seeking to reconcile the world back to himself. Let's keep reading verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world back to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. An ambassador is an official representative sent to another nation or kingdom, etc., to represent their sending nation or kingdom. An ambassador's role is to show to those in that different land what their kingdom, what their nation, what their government is really all about. So after reconciling to us to himself, he gives us the position now as an ambassador of his in this world. The one who is the resurrection and the life gives us a position of an ambassador in this world to represent him. Simply put, Those that have come to know him to be the resurrection and the life go to show him to be the resurrection and the life. After experiencing his resurrection internally, we look forward to the ultimate resurrection that will be eternal. And as we do so, we put on display his resurrection externally in this world. Those that have been made new and have tasted of the goodness of his resurrection power go about their lives seeking to help others experience it, experience it in this life and in the life to come. So that means two things that I want us to focus on with the rest of our time together today. Number one, we proclaim the resurrection. We proclaim the resurrection. Those who have been changed by our resurrected Lord, go and proclaim our resurrected Lord. 
We represent him by sharing the good news that he is risen. We aren't just content to go into the workplace or the school or wherever we go in our communities and just be a nice person that that people think highly of. We're not content to, to only be kind people, but we seek opportunities to let people know that Jesus came, that he died for the sins of the world, that he came back to life with all power in his hands, and all who follow him will live even though they die because he is the resurrection and he is the life. We tell people that he's at work making everything right, that he's in the process of restoring our world to being good again, just like the way he made it. And one day he's going to return to finally get rid of sin, to finally get rid of death and all suffering for his people. And if you want evidence that that's true, you can look at our lives. You can hear our testimonies, that we are a people that have been transformed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is not dead, but he is alive because he got out of the grave just like he said he would. We proclaim the resurrection even though we know that some might not believe us, that some might mock us, that some might stand in opposition to us, because we know that it is ultimately what every man, woman, boy, and girl needs in this world of hopelessness if they don't have him. We know that this is what everyone needs, so no matter if they laugh at us, mock mock us, no matter if it's awkward, we let them know who Jesus is because he is their only hope. And we want them to know the same joy that we have in following a resurrected Lord who defeated death on the third day. We are a people that proclaim the resurrection, and we are a people that portray the resurrection as well. We don't just talk about the one who's coming to put an end to all suffering, but we seek to give our world little pictures of the one who is the resurrection and the life by serving those who are suffering and seeking to bring them a little bit of relief in this world that is moving towards death outside of Christ. As a church, we individually and collectively participate in acts of kindness in the name of Jesus, whether it's seeking to serve the needy and the outcast and the downcast and the oppressed, or if it's just being a listening ear to a loved one or maybe someone we just met. We get to show him off as we show his love to the world. As Christians, when we do it in the name of the one who is the resurrection and the life, we live as the people that know him to be the resurrection as we go out to show him to be the resurrection as well. The fact that we are his ambassadors, that we are the ones that are called to join him in what he's doing and reconciling the world to himself means that we are the hands and feet, hear this, means that we are the hands and feet of the disruption of the status quo of sin. The fact that we are his ambassadors means we are, we are his hands and feet in this world as he is working to continue to disrupt what sin is doing in his creation. We are the hands and feet of that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with his love, sent out as his ambassadors, the church is to go about disrupting everything that sin has done and is doing in our world. To tell your story to illustrate this point, many historians will say that the second medical revolution actually began when Basil, I think I'm saying that correctly, a Christian bishop in Caesarea established the first public hospital in the late 4th century. Within a few decades, public hospitals were commonplace 
in the surrounding area where churches were present. Robert H. Brinmer, who was a history professor at Ohio State University for 34 years, wrote a book called Giving Charity and Philanthropy in History. And he points out that not only did Bazile, who was a Christian bishop, start the first public hospital, but he and other Christians at that time established the first formal soup kitchen, homeless shelter, hospice, poorhouse, orphanage, reform center for thieves, women's center for those leaving prostitution, and many other ministries as well. He was personally involved and invested in the projects and process, giving all of his personal wealth to fund these ministries. Basile himself would put on an apron and work in the soup kitchen himself, all the while proclaiming Jesus, the resurrected Lord. That much of what we understand to be charity work today began because the people of God were actually living out and portraying the resurrection that they had experienced. Also during, that, during the time of the early church, so just, just years after Jesus was raised from the dead, at that time there were no public assistance for orphans of, of any kind. Orphans were some of the most needy and helpless people in the known world. They were often abandoned and left to fend for themselves, which led to many of them dying at very young ages. There were no laws or public programs to help them. Sin was wreaking havoc in the lives of so many young people made in the image of God. So the church, following the one who was the resurrection and the life, became a disruption to this sinful pattern and became widely known as these radical people who just take orphans in and care for them, all the while continuing to proclaim Jesus, the resurrected Lord. So as we see here, the work of the church is to be a proclamation of the resurrecting power of Jesus as we go about being used by God to bring, excuse me, to bring resurrection and restoration where there was sin, suffering, and darkness. Because those that know him to be the resurrection and the life go about showing him to be the resurrection and the life. And those who have been changed by our resurrected Lord go and proclaim our resurrected Lord. Family, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can put our hope and our faith in you because you are the only one that has shown us that you can defeat our biggest enemy. Father, we thank you for not only raising from the dead yourself, but also resurrecting us, for leading us as the one who truly is the resurrection and the life. We thank you that we know that if we follow you, that we will experience resurrection and we will be resurrected just like you were resurrected. And God, would you encourage our hearts to go about being the people that you have called us to be? those that proclaim and those that portray the resurrection, those that show off that you are the resurrection and the life, that the only way to truly have hope is by following you, is by knowing you, is by walking with you and believing in you and having faith in you. Father, help us. Make us a people that are committed to first seeking you that we might be transformed and continue to be made new by you, 
and also being those that go out and share you with the hopeless world that is in need of the one who is the resurrection and the life. Continue to transform us. Continue to use us to transform your world. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name, the one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen.